imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. Total Protonic Reversal. Protonic Reversal. Protonic Reversal. With your host, Conan Neutron. Broadcasting from a secret underground lair in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. A gigantic middle finger to everything that is rock about music, rock and roll, and cover power. The thing is, though... If you don't laugh, you're going to go on a killing spree with shot and nails. Confidence of a hero or a fool. I wasn't exactly certain which. Could not be more professional. It's It's a science place, it's a scientific fact, we are all up in your face. Welcome to the home of the one, the only... Photonic reversal. But welcome to this uh, special stay-at-home edition of uh, Cone Neutron's Protonic Reversal. Got an excellent guest for you. We're going to be talking to uh, Mr. Tim Midget of uh, Silkworm and Bottomless Pint and Mint Mile and Sun. <laughs> Sun as well. So uh, looking forward to that. And, um, yeah, I think we heard enough music. Let's just dive right into it here, and uh, we'll uh, talk to Mr. Midget here. And, uh...
Tim Midget. How you doing? I'm doing just fine. How are you, Conan? Well, you know, best best can be expected under uh, <laughs> under strange times, as they say, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. May you live in interesting times. Is that the, is that the curse? Yes, that is the the fortune cookie curse. Yeah, that you don't want to you don't want to get that one. Yeah. So, but what about you? I mean, how how are things going in uh, in uh, Timland? Like, what? what oh, what's you happening? know, it's uh, it's been interesting. It's pretty weird to think that um, it was only what two or three weeks ago that I was at Lincoln Hall watching Shellac play, <laughs> <laughs> and with about with a bunch of people. And the second night, I remember thinking, "Is this a good idea?" Yeah, because you know. It just felt weird, you know, and I still was there and I washed my hands and I started using hand sanitizer and wipes and stuff, which I'd never, ever do. And then, you know, then the hammer came down and um, it seems pretty clear that uh, something like that would be a pretty bad idea right now. So, um, yeah, it's highly weird. I, I don't really know. I, I don't know. It took me a while to get my mind around it, you know, honestly. So. Well, and it, um, it, it, it's strange to think about it. that was earlier this month within our personal timelines. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> it, it was quickly, and you kind of the weird thing is, I think uh, it's hard to even remember actually exactly where my mind was at. But I remember thinking as early as you know, early February when I was flying back. I was on tour with Sun in um, Italy and Belgium and Luxembourg and France, and I was flying back from Paris, and I'd just been pretty sick. Um, the first time I got sick on tour for a long time and I was real sick and I, but, uh, on the flight, I wasn't that sick, but I wore, I always wear a mask on international flights. Oh, and really? Like, okay. Yeah. Just cause I don't want people to talk to me, but, uh, also <laughs> I, I feel like you lose all your mojo on the plane through your mouth. Like it just dries the shit out of you and you turn it into like a corn husk by the time you land. So I'm like. I always wear them anyway, but I was like, this is the first time I actually feel like I should be wearing this fucking thing, you know? Yeah, yeah, the zeitgeist is actually caught up with you in this case, like you're actually right. Yeah, <laughs> so I think we kind of knew on some level it was coming, and then, but then when it comes, it's just eerie, kind of otherworldly. Well, and, it, and it's, it doesn't seem like it's something that, I mean, as much as you can prepare for something, you can prepare for something, but there's the, the preparatory aspects, right. and then there's like, oh no, this is actually happening now. Yeah, 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 totally. And it's just so many, obviously, so many unknowns. And uh, <clears throat> I mean, the one thing you know is it's not going to go on forever. Uh, but um, the impact on stuff, like I own a business and uh, that's uh, indeterminate, which is good because uh, I know a lot of people who are just screwed, you know, Yeah. Uh, on that front, uh, their job front or uh, people who wait tables for a living or uh, I guess worst case, if you work in an ER and you're putting your life on the line every day, like so literally every I'm not day, complaining. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not complaining about my situation, but it's stressful. You know, it's a lot to have to deal with. So I just I feel bad for basically everybody in the world at this point. You know, <laughs> there's there's nobody. I'm like, oh, you're fine. You know. Well, I'm maybe it, Richard Branson is. Yeah, if you have your private island, you're probably stoked. Other than that, maybe not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it does seem like there is a sort of unifying factor to that, though, that since everybody's stuck in the same uh, anxiety-inducing, terrible situation, yeah. that it, it almost has sort of <laughs> been unifying in the way that only disasters can be. Yeah, right, right. I mean, I, I know people in uh, in France and Germany and, 
and Italy and Denmark and all over in Japan, all over the world who are, you know, hosed right now, basically. I mean, you can't go anywhere and, uh, you know, and, um, it's, uh, you know, we, we, we leave our house periodically. We live in a fairly bucolic neighborhood and <clears throat> we leave our house every couple of days and go for walks. I run every other day and stuff, but you go out and you see people and you look at me, you're, you're like, they're going through the exact same thing. I am. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. <laughs> rare you know it's very rare the only difference is um i've got a big old house i can ramble around in you know and there are a lot of people who well for for one thing people living under bridges but for another thing you know people who live in like even apartments and stuff like that who have a place to live they're they're way more cooped up than than i am so i've had it pretty easy actually well and it's interesting too that you know speaking personally i've started almost adopted the space station mindset that if you're yeah, gonna, totally. if you're going to go outside it's like okay make sure you put your spacesuit on realize yeah. that if your oxygen yeah. is compromised that it's yeah. game over let's go around you know there's no reason to go to the store every day to get like two things you know um there's just no point i've been at walgreens twice since this happened and both times i just felt like i was about to contract the plague just being in there you know because it's like and that's just an average tuesday <laughs> people are in there yeah right well people are in there for a reason you know that's they're in there because they're right. not not well or uh a lot of people so trying to avoid that kind of thing but yeah what can you say it's surreal no one uh we know who's alive unless they're over 100 has ever been through this you know so it's um it's one for the history books you would hope that it's only it's not going to happen very often you know that's all you can hope for at this point because it's happening now well yeah and it's happening in real time and and that's one of the things interesting about doing a a bunch of these shows and talking to a bunch of different people is just how how much everybody's going through the same thing and having the same feelings of anxiety you know canceled tours uh you you know records being released where it's like oh well didn't know about this (laughs) Yeah, you know, our record came out right in the middle of it. And, but at this point, I really just, I just don't want to, it sounds shitty and kind of, um, uh, uh, narcissistic's not quite the right word, but I, I just don't want to know anyone real well who's going to die of this shit, you know? Yeah. Like, I, I lost a few people in, in the recent, in recent memory and, um, and for the, for other reasons and i just don't want to lose anyone in my family i don't want to die or get gets too sick you know i want to keep my kid and my wife safe and then my friends i just want them all to make it you know and it's not too, it's not a lot to ask because i don't think we're gonna see millions of people dying you know in the u.s i gotta hope not you know but uh but yes yeah, it's, it's crazy man and in a weird way i'm not that anxious about it because it's like you said everyone's going through it what the fuck can you do about it Kind of <laughs> wait surf, it out i mean <laughs> surf on it and like figure out a way to to not pay your bills <laughs> yeah, yeah you know i called everybody and told them forget it you know but um L- live in a resting state of complete anxiety that is out, out, out of your control utterly and completely you know <laughs> yeah there's no point you know I, I'm, I'm glad that i sort of sorted out some stuff in my life mentally before something like this happened or i, I might be in a different state of mind right now yeah, and and do you find that? Uh, well, and again, I want to I want to talk about the new record because not only have you 
release a new record during the <laughs> pandemic. You've released a new record, and I do want to talk about that. But I, of course, this is well, an elephant in the room, and not just yeah, conversations yeah. on this show, but any conversation ever. Yeah. I, d- now, Mint Miles, not you know a hard touring band like like Silkworm was necessarily, right. but it, obviously no, no. It, it changes your plans. I know you had some uh, shows. Uh, you had Milwaukee show, for instance. You had shows that were booked, and yeah. of course, those are just. You know, here be dragons as far as what's what's going to be happening in there, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm glad now we didn't go to a lot of effort to <laughs> to try to. You know, we we kept saying, oh, we should go to New York. We should do this. We should do that. We had, we hadn't really. We found me. We'll do it in the fall, and then uh, I'm kind of glad we didn't uh, work harder at it. Yeah, but, I, um, <laughs> I, I, I can I can resonate with that notion for sure. Yeah, just, you, you 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 know that, but um, yeah, it's uh, I don't know, I. I mean, music for me now is very, uh, it's even more kind of um, for the sake of doing it than it ever has been. And it's always been like that for me. So I don't, you know, we didn't, I I think whatever John at the record label pressed up, a lot of those copies are gone already and we're going to sell out of the first pressing of it. And I don't think there's much doubt about that. And um, I don't really care that much about that, you know. Oh, I think it's kind of it's kind of swamped out by any other concerns, and I'm not relying on it for money. Uh, it's a lot it's different. Vital, yeah, yeah, it's a lot different if that's your livelihood, you know. It, it's almost like you're the Biden campaign. You don't even have to campaign, you know. You can, <laughs> people just vote for you. <laughs> yeah, I'll take that as an insult. But, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's obviously I don't really believe that. I, yeah. I am, I am somewhat doddering, but I'm not quite. <laughs> there's a deep and abiding love and connection with the music with the fan base. That means that, you know, you don't have to be playing Poughkeepsie on a Monday necessarily to get people to to interest in the music, which is great because not every band connects and finds their audience. And I believe it's always a cause de celebration uh, when they do. So it's, it's nice to have that as an option, but of course, you know, you have a, you have a pretty rad live band. So it's also nice to be able to yeah. present that in a live environment, which it's purely for me, it's purely about, um, being able to do that part of being in a band, you know, um, I love practicing. We've talked about that before and, um, I can practice for months and not play if we have to do it. And we have had to do that some, cause I've been busy with other stuff, but you know, I, I really love playing live and it's just cause I like doing it that I want to, that I want to do it. So, as far as promoting the record and stuff, you know, whatever. Yeah, and then helping helping John out and his investment in it. But I mean, do you do you yeah. find do you find that you don't do you find that you play for the sake of playing often, or is it more for like an end? Always for the sake of playing. Yeah, I, I would never do it if I didn't want to do it. You know? Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Always, um, if something sounds like fun, then we do it. You know, um, keep it adventure based. Yeah, yeah. I'm not interested in. I, yeah, I've always hated the music industry. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so and, not participating and, and it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> I just know too many people. It grinds you down, and I think it makes you not like what you're doing. And I, I just want to make art. You know, that's all I care about. And I, I'd, I'd rather work a regular job. Yeah, and uh, and make it to, uh, according to whatever template I want, or however I want to do it at the time. You know. Sure, absolutely, and and it, and it makes sense um, that that would be your modus operandi. And I think it's interesting that the way the recorded material has sort of evolved has sort of uh, you know it's not that it's, it's lacked its immediacy, but I mean there are more baroque elements on some of the new record. Like there's some horns 
sure, yeah. <laughs> for instance, which was I was like, yeah. oh wow, wild. Okay. Yeah, man. It's uh, Greg Norman playing trumpet. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. And 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 there's you know, there's these different elements to it that at the crux of it, the songs are the same. Like I've I've seen you play a couple of these songs in a very stripped down environment, and the song mm-hmm. is <clears throat> at its heart the same. Yeah. But the presentation is very different, and it's it's you know some of the things that you know you ever think about the fact if you were to you know take this record and bring it back in time to Montana to a, a younger mm-hmm. Tim, mm-hmm. <laughs> like hey th- this is what you're up to in uh, you know thirty years or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I, that has occurred to me before because I've certainly gone back the other way, and uh, someone I know digitized some old very old demos that I made in. Um, uh, Missoula when I was a teenager uh, it was a circuitous thing where this guy ended up with the tapes and then he sent me digital files so I listened to all those recently it was like hours of stuff and I was like alternately like why the hell would I bother doing that and some of the stuff was like wow that's weird you know what made me think that was to do that I'm really glad I did you know like there was stuff that was so so kind of off kilter that I really liked it, you know, but I think that me back then would hear this stuff now and be psyched, you know, um, I don't think, I think there's a through line from when I was a kid, just learning to play guitar till now. I don't really feel like I've ever gotten off of whatever bus I got on when I was 13 or 14 years old. Sure. Been, been, there's a lot more stuff on it now than there used to be. And I can drive it a lot better, <laughs> but it's but it's the same basic same basic thing, you know. It's something that you ne- didn't necessarily have all those tools in the toolbox as a younger man to be able to no. pull off, you know, more stripped down arrangement, and have it work, and have it sound full, and have it, you know, not be like, oh, this guy, what's he up no, to? No, and I mean, really, on this record, the fact that it's so there's some stuff that's just four of us playing or three of us playing, but there's some stuff that has like kitchen sink style almost production on it with strings and stuff and the reason that worked is just 100% because I play with people who are great you know I'm very far from being the best musician on the record like not even close you know I'm like I don't know at the bottom in terms of technical ability really you think so 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 is it something like where you're you're actively seeking out people that you just are badasses in your mind I want people, I want to play with people who are better than me always. Um, And that was the case in the worm, you know, I, between Joel, Andy and Michael early on, Michael was probably the weak link, but very early on, by the time we got to Libertine, which is the third Silicon record, I was, I'm not going to say I was a weak part of the band because I was good, you know, but, um, I, I, those guys were more, um, you know, we're awesome musicians and I, I learned more from them than they did from me. Um, and that's, that was true. And, you know, in, in bottomless pit, I just wanted to play with people who were, were great. And this band is totally like that, you know? Well, and I guess it gives you something to sort of try to step your game up to. Yeah. I just, I'm not interested in, uh, I don't, I don't, I really don't care. I don't have an ego about it. I just want it to be great. And, you know, there's a track on on that record that has like, you know, the regular core of the four of us in the band. So it's pedal steel, bass, drums, baritone, twelve string baritone guitar. So that's mm-hmm. a lot right there. A couple of key, three keyboards, different keyboard parts, like yeah. a string quartet and an extra cello part, and like all this shit. And it uh, sounds just voluptuous to me. And that's because. 
the, the people who played on it were empathetic, you know, and they, right. they just fit, fit themselves into it right down to the place where like Justin, the pedal steel player had already tracked his thing when we did this string quartet. Justin Brown was great, total ringer player. But <laughs> after, afterwards, it sounded great to me. And he's like, I'm doing my pedal steel part over again. And I was like, really? And he's like, yeah, you know, it's, I got to fit it in with those strings. I got to make it sound like we cut it together. And he went in and the stuff he changed was perfect, you know, because he's just listening to it and he knows what to do, you know. Well, and he's got so. a different set of tools that he's going to utilize that, you know, he's maybe going to hear yeah. something that you're not going to listen to when you're listening to the overall articulated but bigger he's just, picture. He's just a great musician. Yeah. Or like, um, I've talked about these guys before. I don't need yeah. To yeah. 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 No, no. And, and we, um, and I, I, I believe I, and I'm going to bring it up again. I love that the, the pedal steel, uh, that has the atom symbols on it, um, was a, a, a key discovery of seeing the full mint mile live, which, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think there's even a picture of me, you know, with my tattoo next to it, just cause I liked it so much. <laughs> cause I got into carbon yeah. atom. Right, 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 right. But it was, it's, it's striking to me again, and you mentioned the, tw- and I want to get into specifically the twelve string baritone uh, stuff also, but that it it does very much feel like an ensemble. It doesn't feel like, you know, this is uh you know, <laughs> Joe Smith and the dudes necessarily. It's it's like oh no, this feels like a larger entity that is, you know, it, it, it's almost like you're coming at it from the perspective of being a band leader as much as yeah being a band. Well, yeah, and I I know other people who've had to navigate that, and so I, um, you know, I don't know. I'm just I, I'm re- I'm very happy with the record. I think it turned out great, and I think it's varied enough that it, even though it's real long, it, I, at least for me, it's never gotten old. I've had to listen to it an awful lot through you know test pressings and yeah. mastering and all, <laughs> right. all that. The mixing took forever. I mean, we probably mixed it for a better part of a year. So, uh, you know, but I, I never got sick of it. And yeah, it, if you still like it by the end of it, it's probably a pretty good record, right? I mean, that's yeah, <laughs> I, I think so. <laughs> At least it does, it does what I want it to do. And I guess that's, that's the most important thing. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's interesting because, you know, there's some, you know, there's some bold choices. Like, I think that the, the last song on there is um, pretty long. Uh, yeah, it's all sides, 15 minutes, I think. Yeah, yeah. And and it's it but it feels very it has a different feel and vibe than the EPs, which I believe you when you're on last time and I guess it's I could have actually listened to the older episodes, but in fact I'm just not. I'm just going to rash them on effect my memories of them. I think you like said that there was like different aesthetics you're kind of going through with the different EPs just to kind of play with the format and figure things out. Uh was there a specific thing with the album that you were trying to evoke or was it, or was it more just like, Hey, let's just put a bunch of songs together and let's see what this feels well, like afterwards. A lot of the songs are written in the last like three or four years, probably. So there's this kind of like unsettled quality to a lot of the subject matter. Like, um, you know, the world changed pretty drastically. I think when, you know, we ended up with a government federal government we have. And, um, so that, played into it and then you know i think that it's ended up for better or worse being a record for right now pretty dramatically because the structure of the record ended up once i had all the songs i was like well we've got these kind of wistful sort of reminiscences type songs and these like sort of um songs sort of exhorting someone to like behave in a certain way or whatever and uh i want to 
front load the record with those and mm. eventually transition to kind of this dawning of a realization that things are changing in a way that isn't great and struggle with that in the middle. And then at the end, it gets pretty dark, you know? Yeah. Um, there, Cause the there last... is definitely a vibe that changes in the record. Like it, it, it's definitely like, Oh, this is, yeah. And the, it, there's a song called river of cars. It's kind of the fulcrum point where it's like, um, it's just about, um, looking at, I imagine sitting up on a hill, uh, like beacon Hill in Seattle and looking down at I five, which is constantly jammed full of cars you know? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> something like that. And just thinking about what everybody's doing and where they're going and how wasteful it is <laughs> and, and how this is, the perpetual state of our society, you know, and, uh, but it's also kind of, there's kind of a beauty about it and it's seductive, you know, um, and, uh, the activity, you know, and also just cars in general. So, uh, then it kind of morphs and the last two songs are honestly the great combine is a reference to a combine, like a thresher, you know, like right, grinding, yeah. grinding its way through people, through humanity. And it's about, if that's what it's about, you know, which is what we've got, uh, right now, um, going on. Yeah. We're kind and, of, we're kind of all in the combine, if you will. We're in it, we're, <laughs> in, we, we're in it, but it's bigger than just this like virus, which is going to do whatever it's going to do. And then it's, you know, everyone's going to, even if everybody fucking got it, you bury the dead and then everybody has had it. And it's not the same thing as it was anymore, but there's also a, something that piggybacks on that, which is, you know, people taking advantage of it to flex whatever power they have on everybody else. So, um, not to get too Debbie Downer, but you know, <laughs> yeah. that, that's, that's in there and that's what that tune's about. And then the last song is about fleeing an oncoming whatever, like fleeing the thresher. That's what that yeah. whole last 15 minute song is about. And Getting it was away. about that. It was about that a year and a half ago when we started working. Oh God. And it's, yeah. If anything, it's just only gotten more extreme and gotten worse yeah. with a slight sliver of hope that has quickly well, faded. <laughs> I mean, like you said, everybody's going through it. And so the thing is like, this happens, this kind of shit happens all the time, every, all over the world, you know? And, uh, you know, it's easy to feel sorry for yourself when it's you that is inconvenienced in whatever way by it or, or imperiled, you know, let's be real. But, um, you know, the tsunami, uh, the last tsunami killed 230,000 people, you know, yeah. it, it, it was just, it was, it was localized or the, the or, you know, um, yeah. And, yeah. You're, and you're being asked to like sit home and watch, you know, the next season of Ozark on Netflix. Yeah. Like it's not, <laughs> Yeah, try to avoid getting what realistically would end up being a real bad case of the flu for most of us. You know, um, I, I, I like to think of myself as being younger than I am. The reality is I'm more in danger than a lot of people listen to this probably. But, um, you know, but or the Iraq war, you know, killed, I don't know, we don't even know, half a million people, a million people. Like, you know, this kind of shit happens all over the place. And the, re the difference now is that we have to, we have to live it, you know. So, um yeah, it's uh, it's pretty hardcore and weird, and it's odd to me that this little record that we made is kind of like uh, resonant for our particular situation in this country. I think um, even the cover of it, 
<laughs> you know, is like yeah. uh, it's an un, it's an upside down American flag underwater. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I don't know. I didn't plan that out. Uh, I would I, I would hope uh, that it's not relevant in um, you know a year, but who knows? Well, and so the so the record's called Ambertron. I don't think I actually ever mentioned it because it was you know yeah flailing yeah. around like replugging things yeah. in and moving things around is what tends yeah. to happen around here. Um, uh, you know, six years later, I still, maybe one day I'll actually get this down, but, uh, <laughs> it's got the, um, yeah. So, so it's, it's, it's very kind of austere. I was gonna say bleak, but I think austere is sort of like a, a better look, but it's kind of like yeah. a kind of image that makes you like look a couple times, but like, wait, huh? What, what am I looking at exactly there? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what? So Am Amber's preservative, obviously. Yeah. Um, everybody, Amber's a preservative. What, where's the Tron coming to factor? That, that word just kind of came to mind and I Googled it and it's some product that is used for something, a contact cleaner, I think maybe for, uh, for electronics. But, um, I just, the reason I thought of it, I think is because, uh, I think art, it, most of the art that I like at least is a, is about something it it like preserves some kind of impulse or thought or feeling in some way right and it but it's always through a prism like um you're always imparting some kind of a viewpoint on whatever it is that you're capturing so um amber's like that i mean if you if you capture something in amber and um you um you're looking at the bug or whatever the fuck it is (laughs) in the rock uh through um do this filter. And so, um, my idea was just that there's an, you know, Ambertron would just be like a, a machine for doing that, you know, a mechanism that allowed you to do that. Um, and so, yeah, kind of related to the uh, initial thrust of the, the first part of the record is just about reminiscence and about memory and about, um, knowing that what's happening to you is going to become part of your history, you know, mm. and that's going to again. And even after you're gone, it's going to, it's making up your story as you go. There's a song called saying on the record that, uh, I was just going to bring that up. Yeah. Yeah. Kelly Hogan sings it. And, um, I wrote that song about Nicolette Larson, who was a singer in the seventies who had a number one hit. She had a cover of Neil Young's Lot of Love, and she was involved with Neil for a while. But anyway, she was a great backup singer on a lot of records, had a real nice voice, but she never really caught on beyond that one tune and didn't write for herself, so she's kind of at the mercy of the record industry, which is always a bad place to be. And she ended up dying in her 50s, I think, of um, just pills, basically. So I, anyway, I wrote that song about her um, and... Uh, than Kelly saying it, but that's an example, you know, um, that's a, that's an example of someone who created an oeuvre of work, however flawed it was and however not representative of her it was, I don't really know, but you know, and then the way she went out kind of impacted the way the whole thing is viewed after the fact, you know? So I think the whole record kind of fits into that, that thing. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Cheery. Yeah, yeah. I was so. gonna say, <laughs> hey, kids. <laughs> there's a, even I mean, there's a song called "Giving Love" on that. It's like superficially more, op, 
well, it's not optimistic because then you listen to it and it's really about getting lost in the world and not relating as directly to other people as you could and how that's the most important thing, you know, about life is to relate to other people and be a part of existence, you know, but, uh, right. Yeah. So yeah, it's not a super cheery record, but you know, that's the way it goes. <laughs> well, these aren't really super cheery times either. No, they're not. I but... don't know if you're aware of Tim, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. People always say it always could always be worse. And that's a hundred percent true. Oh, and, it can always be worse. Yeah. <laughs> and I do, I do, I do still believe that, you'd be hard pressed to find a 20 year period in the history of the world. That's on the whole better than what we have now. I mean, it sounds effed up because you're living through right now. And if you pay attention to Twitter, you'd think that the apocalypse is imminent, you know, but, um, the, uh, the reality is so apocalypse many imminent about- send tweet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're always on the edge. It's a reality. And we've always been brutal to each other, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's that's not really... None of that's new. It's just uh, kind of writ large. And we've, always, we've always been brutal to each other, but at the same time, we have these reservoirs of goodwill and, and appreciation for each other that we just don't tap that much, you know? And my one hope from all this bullshit that we're having to go through now is that people will be able to link up to that. I mean, it's going to be crazy when you can go out on the street and see people. Yeah. You know? So Tony, Tony, who plays with me, Tony Ash, he he was was like, man, p- people are going to really appreciate live music at least for like a week or so when oh all this God. is over. <laughs> yeah. Or like I was, I was texting um, Steve, Steve Albini, and I were talking about something, and I was like, I'm not talking, texting because we don't see each other, but um, <clears throat> we'll see maybe another week and. You know, you have to have these exclusivity relationships with people. Right. You know? <laughs> okay, there's two of you. There's three of us. Right. You don't see anyone else, and we won't see. Anyone. I get to be the friend for Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays, <laughs> and yeah, no, no, no other friends, no other friends, close <laughs> circle. But um, so uh, but I was like, can you imagine going to a baseball game right now? That would oh be God. the most awesome thing in the world to be able to sit. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, totally. Like a bullish and watch a baseball game. Like I can't can't even imagine how great it would be. Well, and I'm I, I am, and I would love everybody, even if I was at Wrigley. Yeah, I'm a Sox fan. Even if I was at Wrigley, I would just love all these dumb Cubs fans. I'd be like, yeah, yeah, you like cheer, you cheers them from across the park, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. So I'm hopeful that there's that you know that we've got going for us i don't know we'll find out well and it's yeah it's and i think it's fascinating me i don't want to go too down this hole but this idea that people are using this time to kind of dig into being creative and collaborate and do things like it makes me wonder if there is going to be like a crazy influx of i guess covid related bands and albums (laughs) they're gonna be coming out i god i hope there aren't too many albums because Jesus. There's enough albums. It's enough. I mean, how many bands are going to put out the quarantine tips? Oh, God. I'm so annoyed by it already. Yeah. It's going to be bad. Like, you know, that Boney Bear guy is like, he's already on like the fourth, fourth LP of his, yeah. his five album set. It'll, it'll be you know, a pleasantly <laughs> consonant, you know, very emotive, hard on sleeve. <laughs> I'm glad I already got mine out of the way, man. <laughs> you know, I, I have I have every excuse in the world it hadn't happened yet. 
The next record is all about sex and whatever, stuff like that. It's not going to be about this at all. <laughs> I guarantee it. You have my promise. Okay, Anyone that's a, that's a Tim, Tim Media promise. So so when you're on, um, I, I just remembered a, a tidbit when I had you on in studio. I guess it was a couple of years ago. Jesus. Uh, but you talked about how uh, you were taking the most rocking songs off of the album. Remember? Mm. Do you remember that? Mm. On that one. On that on the the one that, that was there and i guess that what's that was it not the new record i don't think no not no no, no no not the new one the one but the one before that Deve- i think we we're talking about develop oh oh yeah 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 yeah. the first pit record the yes. first pit record yeah sorry I, I'm, I'm switching switching gears and switching bands completely that's cool but as far as the mindset of coming from you know, I've heard the term rockist, and I guess, like, for lack of a better term, I'll use that. But coming from a rock place, but doing this more, again, overused term, but Baroque presentation that has these, these different kinds of instruments and things along those lines. How do you, what's the appropriate level of rocking out with Mint Mile stuff? Hmm. I don't know. I don't really think about it that much. Is it just like whatever the song is is what the song is? And that's... yeah, I don't really conceptualize. You know, the funny thing is, we we really labored over this record. Like it took forever to mix and uh, stuff. But the one thing that we didn't labor over was the recording. Like we just knocked it out. And um, some of the songs we had to record three or four times. You know, but as soon as it was done, it was done. And there was not a lot of like the singing and stuff. I just did it. And there were, there were two songs I had to labor over and everything else just knocked it out because I, I just think that's, you have to go on, um, you have to be kind of in a mania to, to do it right. At least for me to feel right about it for it to turn out good. And like the last two songs on the record, that was the first or second time we played each of them, you know, we mm. recorded them in the basement and, uh, we just got them and that was it. Um, yeah. so, uh, I don't, I don't conceptualize about stuff. And then even the stuff that was added, it was always like, this needs this to, to feel right. You know, right. we got to take the drums off it or, or we got to, we got to put, this needs a string thing right here. It needs to be really voluptuous in this one spot or whatever. Um, you know, but most of the new stuff we're doing is, is just the four of us, I think is the way it'll end up with Greg playing trumpet on a bunch. Uh, so is it more like putting is is it more like you know painting a painting and like kind of you don't necessarily know exactly where you're gonna go but you yeah kind of figure on the you way you know when it's done yeah yeah you know when it's done I have a painting uh, by I have a bunch of paintings by my friend Hiroshi Kimura who painted <clears throat> Silkworm Chokes album cover he painted Lifestyle oh yeah album yeah, yeah Lifestyle yeah I, I love it. yeah yeah absolutely great so artist he, artist yeah, yeah super awesome um, and. Uh, I have a painting, a bunch of paintings he did, but I have one that is a painting of a guy at standing on a country road looking at the at mountains, and I it's like one layer of paint on the whole painting, like oh, wow. he like he just like did it, you know. It's almost like a, a those Zen uh, brushstroke paintings uh, that are like single line paintings that. Uh, from the 1500s or whatever. Well, like the cover of uh, Blood Under the Bridge by Bottomless Pit is a very, very famous national treasure level Japanese painting that's like that. It's just strokes. 
Um, so I mentioned that to him when I, when we got it, I was like, I love this cause it's like one layer of paint and he got really excited and he was like, yeah, he's like, exactly. I never, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't do anything. Right. I just, it just came out, you know? So ideally that's how it happens. That's not always how it works, but. So it's like almost like a, an element of minimalism writ large that way. Yeah. But it's just like. Yeah, I don't. I'm not a first thought, best thought person. I'm not into the whole Kerouac thing of you just write the whole thing out of roll of paper and then you're done. You know, yeah. Um, not that that doesn't work sometimes, but uh, you you just know when it's finished. You know, sometimes it's more of a thing uh, that you have to put a bunch of effort into, and sometimes it's not. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, some like sometimes it's like lightning striking and sometimes it's a you know a day at the sausage yeah. factory and it's the- yeah yeah ideally it's lightning and if it's not just put it away and maybe it'll be lightning next time you bring it out i i, I you know what i i just reused that same thing i was talking with buzz osborne and we were talking about that the same way and i just realized i reused that because apparently my memory is going and i'm doing too many of these <laughs> but it's still it holds true it's good it's good uh it's a good analogy i think uh, so talking talking a little bit about minimalism and stuff, one of the biggest changes since you've been on lately is uh, recording and touring with Sun. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you and you brought it up uh, briefly, but we were in the middle of some important COVID-19 content, so I didn't mm-hmm. want to dance away from it. <laughs> yes, by all means, people haven't heard enough about COVID-19. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they they really they, need to they, come they, to this show to hear all really the hot takes. They really know what I think about it. It's <laughs> <Yeah>. super important. <laughs> well, it is an exclusive, I guess. I mean, if fucking the president is going to mouth off about it, then I feel like I sort of have a civic duty to mouth off. Yeah, you're far more qualified than he is, for sure. I am, yeah. We'd be better off, yeah. Which is terrifying. But Yes, I, I spent a lot of last year... Uh, well, I played on the last two Sun Records, Life Metal and Pyroclass, which are fantastic and um i love them both and uh then the guys asked me to do some some touring and then it turned into more touring and i think we did five tours we did two three european tours and two u.s tours um which was awesome um and we wrapped up right before the shit hit the fan so (laughs) i guess that uh i guess that worked out okay for them but uh, and that's probably the most touring that you've done in quite a while, probably since Silkworm, oh, yeah. right? Yes. I mean, there were there was a, there were two or three years in the Worm where I probably toured more than that. Um, one year was six months, probably. But um, <clears throat> yeah, I think it was. Uh, let's see, two weeks, three, five, eight, uh, f- uh, probably about thirteen weeks of touring last year, and then a couple weeks this year. So yeah, quite a bit for me. So, a little bit of a different vibe with the music. Sure. Yeah. Uh, it, can you can you speak to playing in, in such a? I mean, I don't know if restrained is the right word, but like almost like a con- contemplative. I don't know. What what would you call the style of playing that you're doing versus uh, what you do in your own music? For, for me, um, once I got uh, the. Uh, got into the flow of it, which took about, I'd say the first five minutes on stage with the band, even though we'd practiced and stuff was like, this is never, I'm never going to be able to do this. This is like, this is like literally operating a jackhammer out of nowhere in, in like a, in like a, an underwater 
you know, a jack jackhammering underwater or something. It was just like, or it, it was like going from uh, a, a training exercise in the military to actual war. Like it was crazy um, how disorienting it was and hard to do. And then by the end of the show, I felt pretty good. And then by the third show, I wasn't looking at my notes. And at that point, it just becomes an exercise. It's meditative. That's how I would describe it. It's a it's a it's a trance thing. It's a, me a meditative trance for two hours straight, where you're not thinking about a damn thing. Even though the riffs are real long and stuff, once you really get them down, uh, it's unlike anything else I've ever done in my life musically. And uh, I'm I've suffered from withdrawal, not being able to do it <laughs> since it stopped. Because I just that being in that state of mind. Every musician I've talked to about it has been who knows about Sun has been jealous, and even people who aren't like massive fans of Sun necessarily, right. they're because there's only really one place you can do that in the world that's at that level, and that's that band, you know. So to be able to have played in that band is like, I mean, I hope to hell I get to keep doing it, um, but uh, even if I don't, it's been just a tremendous gift to have been able to 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 do that to the extent that i have you know? well and it's it's interestingly it's it's been a hot topic on this show for the past 10 episodes or so uh, just the idea that that kind of thing that kind of like drone thing has become an experiential yeah that, that almost is different than like just going to see a show or going to see a band play their songs oh, yeah no it's a it's a it's a ritual i mean it is and uh you know, well, William Burroughs once said something about he's reviewing Led Zeppelin. I wish I remember the quote, but it was like a ritualistic exchange of energy between the the performers and the audience. And I, the instant I read it, I was like, "Man, you know, it takes someone like William Burroughs to just like get right. I mean, <laughs> the guy's not, <laughs> not even from rock and roll, you know? Yeah, he's yeah, he's from like before that, obviously, but he utterly understood what it was all about because that's it when it works." Every live performance, every live rock performance is like that, you know. Um, and in particular with Sun, it's not we're up here on stage and we're playing for you and we're like brutalizing you with this volume or whatever. It's a thing of sucking everybody into the same space. So like the whole uh, the whole venue, no matter where it is, is coated with fog, like absolutely coated with it. And the lights are very particularly done. Um, by the woman who does them, uh, her name is uh, Anna, and uh, she's uh, amazing. She's the best in the world at that kind of stuff, I think. But um, Anna Wextrom is her last name. She's from Finland, and she gets fly, She gets flown wherever the show is because the show she has to be there. It's an integral uh, part of the show. No, yeah, there's no show without the the six fog machines and the lights. There's no, you have to have it, you know? What? And and the reason you have to have it isn't as window dressing or pyrotechnics is because you want every space to be um, subsumed by this feeling. And the only way to get it is with that environment, by creating that environment. It doesn't matter if it's a black box theater, huge church, whatever. You've got to get that going. You know. Yeah, it's not goofy artifice like it might be for some Aerosmith sounding, uh, you know, no, rock and, and roll and, band. And, and, but you know, and if people want to think it's like kind of uh, 
uh, gag thing and a spinal tapestry or whatever, whatever the fuck people want to think. That's fine. I don't. No one in the band really has any problem with that. But when you're there, after about 20 minutes, it makes sense. You're not going to be thinking about fucking spinal tap. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> you're going to be. You're either going to be out the door, or you're going to be in the fucking zone. And if you're in the zone. Your eyes are closed and, you know, you are immersed. You're, it's like taking a, a hot bath, you know, but you're not being brutalized. You're being, you're being, you know, you're being caressed. <laughs> right. And, and it's almost That's like, it, just to go back to the painting analogy, it's, it's almost like, um, you know, you need the right canvas to paint on. And part of that canvas is are the, the, these other things that are not the music. But I mean, that said, you could still do it. You know, you can still paint on a wall, you know, and, and it still would be, it still would be good, but it'd be a different thing than, you know, using the, the format of choice. And yeah, the, the other thing I think it's maybe hard to understand is that those guys are the only guys who can do it. I'm not saying other bands couldn't sort of do it if they really worked at it, but Greg and Steve have been doing that shit for 25, 22 yeah. years. Like, and, and believe me, I, uh, it was not trivially easy for me to get into the, in, into i could play the notes you know but i but playing the notes one by one is not the same thing as being in the groove of the band to be in the groove of the band you have to like just subsume yourself be subsumed by it and live in it and live in those riffs and adjust your whole scale of everything volume time everything changes you know yeah it's almost like instead of being a band it's more like a lifestyle choice it's it's sort of like uh, living in a in a in a biosphere that's right. very designed in a very specific way to achieve a very specific kind of um, a kind of atmosphere, you know. And uh, and by the end, you know, initially, like when we recorded the record, the first time I ever played with those guys, and Stephen was kind of conducting, or Greg would be kind of conducting where the notes were going to come in and, and fade out. Um, on stage, you can't do that because there's too much shit going on. And that's part of the confusion I was talking about initially. I was like, oh my God, where the fuck am I? You know? And, and, uh, <laughs> right, Bottomless that, Pit didn't have the smoke machine necessarily no, going, you know? <laughs> no, he had, he had parts, you know? The riffs weren't, you know, uh, 30 seconds on each note, you know, 40 notes in a row. Uh, so, but by, by the time you get into it, it's not about looking at anyone. It's not about, it's about just living in it. You're hearing stuff. And you can tell when it's going to change. You just do it, you know. Uh, you feel it as much as and know it as much as anything else. Yeah, it's a collective exercise in meditation and 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 trance and and just being part of the thing that's happening at that moment in whatever space it is, whether it's a tiny little club in some little town in France or uh, emos or uh, some huge church or the roundhouse in London, which is 3000 people, you know, it's all, you can get the same basic thing going on in all those different environments. I think the band is ingenious. I mean, that's the honest truth is I think it's the only band in the world that's ever been exactly like that, that band. And I think it's, it's brilliant in a way that as much as I like them and I, I always liked it from day one, I never really got how masterful it is, you know, and how it's become that over time. Yeah. It turns out they know what they're doing. <laughs> so. yeah, I mean, they know what they're doing, but it's an invention. It's an invention. I mean, it's got some stuff in common with some things like, I don't know, 
Terry Riley or uh, uh, Lamont Young or Glenn Branca, um, maybe Glenn Branca or whatever. But it, it's its own bag, and it's so welcoming, and and there's a warmth to it that I think you um, you could lose if you didn't if you didn't really go if you didn't go to a show, you know, and just soak in it. Yeah. We've got a, a question from the chat box. Uh, do you rehearse in the robes? <laughs> no, the robes are live ritual only. Okay. <laughs> I had discussions about that because in the early days when I first got my robe, I was like, shit, my robe is awesome. I love it. I, I want to wear this thing all the time. Yeah. And uh, O'Malley looked at me and goes, live ritual only. <laughs> He's okay. Like, all right. Like, no, that's just for the live ritual. And I'm like, yeah, 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 you're right. You can't walk around with a robe. That's not going <laughs> to. Then, then you might as well get a katana and some some nunchucks. You know, uh, if you're gonna sh- yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like it, it's it's a bit of a it's the wrong <laughs> it's kind of absurd, and it, and yeah, it demeans it almost. I suppose it's larping. Yeah, <laughs> it's larping. If you're gonna do that, but you know, it's it's that, that's the other thing that you put the robe on and it's an anonymizer, along with the fog, right? Um, you can't you you there's no like star turn thing. It's just like the group. Especially, you know, Attila, uh, who sings with the band sometimes, uh, is amazing. And he's a front man, right? Right. But the more recent version of the group is more like Herbie Hancock's Headhunters band or something like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's just a bunch of, there's a bunch of people on stage, but it's really about the collective sound of the, of the group, you know, that version of the band is. Yeah, so is that almost like, uh, you know, sublimating the self into like a larger hole for yeah the right the, the, i don't think about me up there at all and i don't think those guys are thinking about themselves at all it's just sort of this like meditation and celebration and um uh experiential thing where you're like you're sort of um i don't know man it's sort of it's sort of like uh it's just sort of a, a, it is sort of a celebration. I mean, honestly, every show has kind of felt like that, you know, um, of just, just being, just existing really. And, and do people, is there interaction after the show? Do people come up and be like, Hey, Hey man, sweet ritual or, you know, like- <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there would be a lot of interaction if it had went out to the merch table. Yeah, I was going to say, do you just got to like, you know, there's just a, a wall that, you know. The fans are pretty into it, you know, a yeah. lot of them. And so you can go out there and talk to people and it's cool. I mean, no one knows who I am, so that's good most of the time. But um, right. great to see them and have to kind of watch it, you know, honestly. Yeah. Um, because they'll get they'll get overwhelmed. But people are very... I imagine there are a good amount of avid fans with a. There are a good amount of avid fans, and it just has an effect on people. Yeah. You know, it has a strong effect on people. And uh, it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I know people who think it's like kind of a gag or like it's a gimmick or something, but uh, it's not, you know. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you, except you're looking at the tip of the iceberg, I guess, if you think that, you know. Yeah, I mean, it, it's certainly, you know, I'm the first one to say that, like, it's not a world that I'm sure. that familiar with. But I've, you know, again, coming at things from the perspective of not just wanting to have an opinion on something without knowing anything about it, I've come to realize this thing, like, oh, this is like a ritualistic thing for folks, even if they're not articulating that with that 
word yeah. necessarily. And that there is some, some interesting aspects to that being something that's kind of coming to fruition now at a time when there's instant availability to like anything music wise, but that's not something you're going to be able to get listening to at home unless you have like back to the future speakers, like in the never, <laughs> you cannot do it. And uh, I mean, I went to a listening party. I went to a listening party in New York. So I happened to be there when they were doing it and introduced the record and stuff. And they had these like this tower of speakers. It was like literally 15 feet high and, <laughs> and, and it was really loud just playing the record and it sounded great, but it was like a fraction of the thing. You just can't do it, you know? Yeah. Um, and yeah, it is not something you can stream. Yeah. And you can't play it on your record player and you can't, and the band will not do it unless they have everything they need to make it happen. You know, they will not play through a shitty PA. They will not play if they can't run all the fog machines without blowing the power. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's gotta, it's gotta be the way it's gotta be always hundred percent of the time. Yeah, which allows a level of consistency to present the thing the way it's meant to be presented, which... Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of places in the world that would be fun to go, but they just, you know, if the, if the resources aren't such that it can happen the way it needs to happen, then it's not going to be a sun show. Yeah, you don't want to brown out the local infrastructure. No. <laughs> we we the blew the power, you know, we blew the power out at the Fillmore when you played there. So. That's crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. Well, they didn't wire it up right, but... Fixed it. So, uh, and again, the you're doing both at the same time. You got mid mile stuff happening. Yeah. The change up there is that you know? Do you get whiplash from <laughs> going between one to the uh, other? Does it seem very natural? It does. And what's interesting about it is that the impulse, the essential impulse behind the two bands is identical. You know, yeah. the the impulse in Sun is. Uh, although the band does very well, um, you know, um, it, the impulse behind the band isn't commercial at all. It's not motivated by making money. It, if it was, the band would be on the road all the time because there's right. kind of an insatiable demand for them to play. But uh, that's not what they're about, you know. And, and uh, honestly, if it was about money, it would be just Greg and Steve. Because the two of them playing a duo show, you get seventy five percent of it. Right? Yeah, I was gonna say it's less less money to, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to spread around. Yeah, they don't have to pay me, you know. And uh, but um, that and and they wouldn't bother with you know, <clears throat> you know, uh, many thousands of watts worth of amplifiers. It would you know they would spare it down a lot. But um, it's the same thing. It's, it's the same basic impulses as as I've always had and my, any band I've always ever been in has always had, which is we're doing this to like, because we're super into it, you know, and, uh, we love doing it. And that's the only reason it's happening. You know, if, if people didn't want to do it, it would not happen for sure. Right. Yeah. It's not like you're clocking in at the drone factory necessarily. No. And <clears throat> the things the way that things are put together are in a very, um, you know, those guys know when they're done with something, same as I do, you know, could I write the stuff that they're doing? No. Um, I don't have the years of working on a note to make it do what I want it to do and knowing where that note should go in relation to everything else that's going to happen, you know, around, 
Um, I, I don't think anyone, I don't know anyone else who could even begin to write this, that stuff the way they do it. It's kind of like making a Jackson Pollock painting, you know, <laughs> like you kind of, you look at it and you think, ah, oh, it's your paint splatters. Anybody could do that. If you're a dumb ass, you know, but, uh, <laughs> the reality is you can't do it, you know? Yeah. And uh, you can make you a crappy imitation of a Jackson Pollock but painting, it won't but look like that. And you could try to make music like Sun, but it ain't gonna sound like Sun. Um, there's a I've used this description before, where it's like someone did a uh, uh, did a an analysis of a Jackson Pollock painting, or they, they anal- analyze these paintings in general, and they realize that there's a fractal quality to them, where the way they look at full scale is is the way they look at like an inch square or three inches square, like it scales. Oh, wow. Um, okay. And what that implies is there's an artistic cohesion and a density to his like way of doing stuff that holds up no matter what chunk, no matter how you chunk it out, it's going to be similar. And Sun's music is like that. Like every note in every riff is a mini drone. And like on the Pyroclast record, those uh, tracks are, you know, start with one note, a pedal tone, and then everything is built off that. And the, py- the pyroclasts are sort of like if you took one note out of any one of those drones, uh, one note out of any one of those pieces on life metal and made it an entire thing for 50- for 12 minutes or whatever, you know. But that's, that's the thing. It scales, you know. 30 seconds of a note scales to 10 minutes of a note, scales to half an hour of a note or whatever, you know. It really works like that. Fascinating. I mean, it's, it's, it's such a different way of operating that it's it's yeah very compelling to hear the the breakdown of it like that. It's elastic in a way that if if you're you or me and you write songs that have words and you have chords and you have a hook and stuff, that's I think that's awesome and that's what I do, you know. Uh, but this is a way of thinking about and looking at music as an experience and and also just as yeah, sound that is more elastic and not caught up in a lot of the things that I get caught up in. Um, so to that extent, just on a personal level, selfishly, it's been like invaluable for me to have that experience and see, you know, and and know what goes into making that kind of thing work. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's, you know, that's, it's interesting to be, if not a tourist, like a passenger and, participant yeah, in that like, world right i'm definitely on the butt on the you know i'm on the bus <laughs> <laughs> same as everybody else so uh and i feel like it's my bus while i'm on it you know it's as much my bus even though i'm the newest guy as it is the other guys like i feel integral to the thing while i'm doing it when i'm not doing it i'll, I'll be whenever that is it's up to them but if i'm not doing it at some point i'll just be grateful for having had the shot you know for having been able to do it. So, and you mentioned there were corollaries as far as like ethos and, and mindset between mint mile and between doing stuff with sun, which, uh, as an aside, actually, do you find a lot of people want to say sun? O because of the, the symbol that goes, that goes with that. Well, you know, I, I think it's just sun, but, uh, Casper Brosman says sun. O, and I'm not going to say Casper Brosman's wrong. So, Casper <laughs> can say whatever he wants, so it's just good enough yeah. for him. Oh, maybe that is what it's called now. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but 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 not to subtweet my own question. But uh, the 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 actual question is that the the corollaries uh, between the two. You said there were some 
you know, common cause as far as like maybe like the results not being the exact same thing, but you know, knowing, knowing when it's done and trying to evoke certain things, but using it like different tools, like a different tool set necessarily to yeah. do that. Right. It's just a different language. It's like learning another language. It has its own internal logic. And, um, once you understand the structure of it and, and can speak it, then what you think and feel isn't any different. You're just, you're just saying it in Czech or as opposed to English or whatever, you know? Right. And so when you go back to doing mile stuff and you go back to, you know, vocals and yeah, verses and choruses and mm-hmm. <laughs> things along those lines, yeah. uh, does it, does it hit you in this, in the same similar way as far as, or does it feel like, does it feel like, you know, suddenly getting on like the rowing machine after, you know, being on like the treadmill for forever? Or does it feel like more, uh, like there's a different corollary? Uh, it is sort of like, um, you know, leg day versus, uh, (laughs) doing curls. (laughs) It is is a little bit like that, but it's still your body, you know, there's still a pretty strong commonality between your arms and legs really. So, um, but, uh, I, I I think it's just not – I don't feel that different about it. The one thing I think is that in Sun, every note has to be done right. You know, you don't get to flub stuff. If you do, you figure out a way to recover from it just like anything else. But when you hit it, you've got it, it's really in your best interest to hit it right. <laughs> you know, there's no blah, blah, blah where like when you play guitar and you're going up, you know, you're just kind of – with the picking hand, you know, you know what I'm talking about. I, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. No. <laughs> of course but, I do. Yes. You can't do that because you're playing at such a high volume Yeah. and there's so much potential for things to go wrong if you shank it. So you've got to, you've got to nail it and you don't always want to hit it hard. You don't, it's not always the same thing. Steven plays with his fingers a lot. Steven plays on round wounds a lot. So oh, Jesus or, or not round wounds, flat wounds. But, um, so, you know, there's a very, and like Greg's guitar, he literally never changes the strings, you know? So there's a lot, it's a lot, and he, and he uses relatively thin picks. So there's a lot about it that's fairly delicate in terms of getting things to behave. And one thing I've realized through the experience of not only playing with them, but making this record is I almost never feel like I didn't play enough on something. Mm. <laughs> Okay. I really, I think it's influenced me in a way in that I've sort of started to strip down what I do a little bit. Um, like, you know, the cliche is less is more, but in this case, less yeah. actually being more. Yeah. I just think know where to know where to cut stuff out, you know? Yeah. And that, that, that was the thing we always did in Silkworm was no, know where to go over the top, know where to cut stuff out, you know? Yeah, so that's that brings up a good uh, kind of segue there because, you know, Andy moved away now. Like he's 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 over in Boston, and even though he was a participant in some of the early Mint Mile stuff, Andy Cohen, yeah, 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 Andy Cohen, yep. yeah, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> <That's fine. laughs> for those just tuning in, I'm talking about Andy Cohen of Silkworm Bottomless Pit, uh, <laughs> and that's something that a lot of people kind of looked at you and him as like a gestalt entity in the Lee Ronaldo Thurston Moore sort of vibe where, where you well, think of like all the guitars being like one thing, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, Andy's like 
the best lead guitar player in the world, I think, pretty much. Um, I mean, there's, I mean, literally, not joking, there's Neil, <laughs> you know, there's, uh, there's, uh, there's Richard Lloyd. Yep. Um, I'm showing my age probably. I'm sure there are people. Who are those, are, those are two of my favorites. So uh, keep going. But, you know, <laughs> Andy, Andy's in that, he's in that league. Yeah. So you don't want to not play with someone like that. Um, but you know, it is the way it is. And he has his own, he has a very busy life. He has three ch- children and, uh, he's, uh, the head counsel in charge of R and D at this pharma company and, uh, whatever. So, you know, and he's still making music. Like we regularly talk about how you can't get out from under it. You know, once once you're doing, <laughs> you're locked once in. you're once <laughs> you're doing it, you're just doing it, and that's just what it goes. Yeah, you're, you've uh, you, you've been infected, and uh... <laughs> yeah, it is a condition. Yeah, chronic. So, but you did do before he left. You guys did a show. Uh, you guys did a show together. I did not get to go to, unfortunately. Um, which had had you played with each other's bands individually before since bottomless pit i'm trying to remember uh probably um i don't actually remember maybe not yeah that was great because um i mean justin couldn't play with this justin to steal got player who also plays guitar but he couldn't make that show so andy ended up sitting in for our whole show which was awesome oh nice it was yeah it was super fun yeah. And, and, you know, we, we, I mean, we have the same affinity for each other's music as we ever did. I think his music's great. He likes my music. So, um, you know, I find it hard to believe we won't ever do something together again. Um, just cause it seems hard to believe, you know? So, yeah. I mean, you ha- you have that just, you know, not even like friend, but like sibling and share part of a brain <laughs> level of yeah. affinity with playing with each other. Totally. Be yeah, we do. That. Yeah, and it's there's an automatic quality to it that uh, is, um, you know, you. It's valuable, you know, and it's something I cherish, you know. In addition to us being uh, great friends and stuff, I just I, I really value that, you know, that quality of our relationship in particular. Well, I don't want to, I don't want to believe at the point too much because I ha- of course I've had you on a couple times and we've gone in in great depth. Uh, about all things silkworm and it's as much as it was a big part of your life i'm sure isn't necessarily something you want to talk about literally every time <laughs> you talk <laughs> to someone right yeah but it's it's hard to ignore the fact that in a in whatever small to moderate capacity it has had a huge influence on a lot of people's lives in a very Im- important and pertinent way that those songs really connected with folks and inspired bands and inspired other people to do, you know, cool things. But then by the same token, it's not as if you guys were a household name or anything along those lines either. Oh no, no, but you know, we found our uh, audience, I think. Um, and I think those records are durable. I think that, you know, the Libertine repressing is or Libertine reissue has been repressed that's where i was going with this by the way <laughs> In case and, you're <laughs> yeah and, and, and the other the other one that john did in the west has done very well and you know there's some there's an audience for that music and there always was um so that's cool i mean you know again like 
it's a pretty selfish endeavor when you come right down to it because we're kind of just doing it because we enjoy doing it, you know, always. And that's the way it always was in the work too. Um, but it's, it's always gratifying when people appreciate it, you know, uh, I mean, do you, but do you really feel that it's a selfish endeavor when it's something that brings so much value to other people as well? I mean, well, obviously that, it's not factored in, but yeah, that's a great side effect of it, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> side effect of selfishness. I'm definitely not thinking about, are people going to be into this? Well, like, sure. Yeah. Anything, you know? Yeah. Would have been yeah. a very different band. I'm sure if that was, had been a, <laughs> yeah, worse, maybe more successful. <laughs> <laughs> so what's what's it like and i think you know again i i should probably review these episodes before i have repeat guests on but i don't <laughs> uh these these reissues have been coming through i i think the the ones some of the more recent ones like in the west like i feel like there's the biggest difference uh between like the version i have versus uh, the old version i used to have versus the uh, the new version yeah maybe I mean, is it like looking at baby pictures i mean like what what it's do... weird yeah it's odd uh i mean when we we re we reissued libertine and we just remastered it right because we had the half inch tape because our friends who put out the record initially uh are menches and they just gave us the tapes um because they weren't doing anything with them um right so we remastered it and it sounds better <clears throat> it has a fuller sound um yeah it's, it's it sounds it, yeah yeah sorry to interrupt but it, that's to me it just sounds more like it's not that the the cd i had sounded anemic necessarily but i was I, oh. it just definitely has more presence i suppose is the best it's way a lot it. fuller and, it, yeah. and the vinyl spread out over two records and sounds awesome and it's really good so then we were like what well, we should do in the west and so we had to buy that one back um no comment but um <laughs> you know we, we that, was, did that. that was cz originally is that right yeah we did that and he didn't, he no longer had the master tape. He just had the two inch tape. Hmm. So rather than master it off of crappy dat or whatever, we just, uh, we remixed it with Steve and that was fairly revelatory. Um, it was revelatory to listen to Libertine again. Cause I just hadn't heard it for so long. And I was like shocked at how great I thought it was. <laughs> but, uh, but in the West was really surprising cause we dug into it, you know, and we actually re, did it we remixed it and that thing was weirder because it was it was farther afield from anything that any of us would do now or at least that andy and i would do and uh, there was gawky things about it and things that we're a little uncomfortable with or whatever but overall i was just like shit this band was awesome you know right in 94 when we were just getting our sea legs really we kicked ass like you know, the drumming wasn't quite as good as it was on the next record, but it's still great. Um, and the songs are just like crazy good. A lot of them. And there's a couple Joel's, there's a Joel song called dream Aid on that record. That's, it's a masterpiece. Like we never, we never did anything better than that. You know, I'll never do anything better than that ever. It's, it's like a total utter masterpiece and very harrowing <laughs> to listen to. And it's, it's intense. Yeah, it's super duper awesome. And uh, there are a few tunes on that record that are in that kind of league. Um, so it was sort of like looking at baby pictures on a couple of the songs where you're like, I don't know if I really needed to, you know, let that necessarily see the light of day and not exactly. <laughs> <this."> 
maybe we should have done that vocal a couple more times. Right, you know? right, right. <laughs> but um, there are also moments like Garden City Blues or Dream 8 or uh, uh, Pilot is another one. Or um, Andy has these crazy jittery songs like Dust My Broom or Into the Woods that are great. Um, you know, and, and you're just like, I don't know. Those are pretty, you know, fantastic. And, you know, if you can put out a record that's like half stuff like that, then, it, you know, and the, and the other half is good. It's not like it's terrible or anything. Um, then better than a lot of bands do, you know, <laughs> Might as well. you've kind of won. You know? Yeah. That'd have been the only record we ever did. We would have. So, um, well, and the song still held up. I mean, I think I, I, Totally, I'm sure yeah. I probably told this story, but the first, I think it was the first time I saw you guys uh, was in Victoria with Shellac, bizarre. And I, if I remember correctly, and it was this some, you know, this some, some bar that has shows in Victoria with its cobblestone roads and like storybook gnomes hanging out. And first song you ripped into was garden city blues. And I was just like, huh? This is cool. Yeah. Like, and, and I didn't really know, I didn't really know anything about you guys. I was like, all right, right on. And then like, I didn't, I didn't, it's not that I immediately rushed to judgment when I see a band, but it just was something, it sounded different to me and it sounded cool. Yeah. And, uh, that led me to explore whatever the record was at that time. Uh, I think it was developer actually, if I remember correctly, I might, I might be wrong. Uh, but it's, it's interesting that to me and when I, uh, and I'm going somewhere with this, I swear. Uh, the vast discography and the different epochs of time with Silkworm that you still kind of dug back and did a couple of the old songs that made sense. Uh-huh. And, sure. and kind of looked at it almost like the Stones or like Credence or something along those lines where you recognize a good song is a good song and yeah, you get you get sick of playing it, but as long as you can still do it well and do it justice, that it's still is worth playing and, and uh, worth keeping yeah. around. Sure. Yeah. We always plowed back into old stuff and we play warm songs sometimes in mid mile and stuff for fun. And, uh, you know, they're part of the fabric of the whole, of the whole thing, I think. And, you know, and it's interesting when you talk about seeing a band, maybe seeing our band play one song and getting a particular feeling about it. Any of the bands I can think of that we are contemporaries with, um, maybe this is true of all bands period. I don't really know, but it seems like particularly in eighties, nineties, indie rock, the great bands or even good bands were bands where the instant they started, you got the feeling of what they're about, you know? Right. And there, there are plenty of bands who weren't like that because they were pastiches of whatever. But like, if you saw pavement in 92 or whatever, right after slanted came out, which I did, um, you instantly got, the vibe of the band <laughs> for better or worse the instant they started you know <laughs> yeah, you're, uh, you're either on board or you're not <laughs> exactly. yeah, yeah right i was on board but it was extremely sloppy um but uh or even even a band that i wasn't necessarily insane about like the grifters who i know a lot of people are crazy about the grifters um you knew what they were about 10 seconds in like not to say that it didn't change or or the songs weren't different from one another because they were, but you knew what the grifters were about instantly or low or, um, coding or bedhead right. or, you know, uh, come, you know, whatever, like all these bands you saw them and, and the instant they started, it wasn't a showman thing or anything. It was just, 
that they were a bunch of people oriented in a particular direction. And I saw a lot of bands that weren't like that in Seattle, especially because everyone had their own agenda and yeah, basically yeah. Was trying to get into some other band probably. But, um, but when you saw a band that was all, all moving in the same direction, whether you were really into it or not, it, it showed up. You recognize that, you know, and I, I don't think you have to be a musician to feel that. No, absolutely not. I mean, it may be, it may be experienced a different way, but I think that almost, it's, it's almost like a statement of intent uh, yeah. kind of thing. It, it comes across and it comes across, you know, however it's interpreted by the listener, wherever they're coming from, it's going to be felt, even if it's not felt in the same way as the person next to them. Right. Yeah, totally. So what do you, and I, I want to be careful about how I phrase this, but how do you feel about bands that, that kind of taken influence from Silkworm and done uh, what they, with their own thing to it? Like, I don't know who they are, but it sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's, maybe that's a better question. No, do you, do you I, feel I, like I, that there are bands I, that I, have taken sure. it? Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, no. And I mean, we've influenced bands that we know who were, you know, fairly significant bands. I know that for a fact. So, um, so, you know, it's great. I don't have any problem with it. I mean, no, it's flattering. You know, I don't, I don't really know what else to say about it, except that I think if it gets more people playing drums like Michael played drums or guitar the way Andy plays guitar, then that's a good thing. <laughs> you know, yeah. we could use that, yeah. I, I happened to, I don't even remember why, I was digging around in some old archives and I found an old zine interview uh, I don't even remember what the zine, uh, but there was you and Michael from, from way back when, kind of both like fielding questions, uh-huh. and it just it reminded me again just how vivacious and hilarious of a personality he was, and like all he did, like every every yeah. sentence, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like just just a huge, a huge figure without being a domineering one, I guess. <laughs> Maybe that's yeah, no, he, I mean, he was just a. I would say he was a unique person, but, uh, and he was, I mean, literally, but, uh, I've known a few people like that, um, who just had this outsized effect on people around him, you know? And I think it's cause he just liked human beings, you know, not in like a naive way. No, no. There, like, were, there were definitely people he wrote off <laughs> different times, <laughs> but you know, he, he, he put up with a lot from people if he thought, if he thought they had intrinsic value and. Uh, he, he taught me a lot on that front and Andy, you know, because we were, um, not like that (laughs) by nature. You know, we grew up in Montana and stuff and we were kind of had this, we weren't as, uh, as wolf boy, uh, as some of the other people we knew from that part of the country. But, um, you know, we did have this sort of like, bear just coming out of hibernation thing going on when we got to seattle and he didn't he was a very always a very very social guy and i think we learned i know for sure i learned how to do that from him explicitly you know um just relate to other people and meet other people where they are and appreciate what they have to offer the world yeah i mean there's there's certainly a lot of life lessons there and as as someone that you know, when I, at the time I was personally just getting into music, I really appreciated. Oh God, this is going to sound like such a historical anachronism to the younger listeners, but 
on the Silkworm website, he wrote those <laughs> those tour diaries. Yeah. And they were great because the only bands really doing it that that were in my uh my my uh area of interest was uh, was was Michael from Silkworm, uh Rose from Poster Children and Mike Watt. <laughs> and those were the three that I would just voraciously read every entry. And I, yeah, I yeah. loved it because at the time I wasn't yet in a position where I was making records or touring, but I was utterly fascinated by like, Oh, what is it like? What's it like yeah. out there? Like, what? yeah. Yeah. And I always found his to be both succinct, entertaining and to always have like some tag or element that would be like the thing you come away with, like a good comedic, like a comedy bit or something. Right. Yeah. There, would, there would be some kind of like thing. You're like, Oh, that's hilarious. And you would think about yeah. that later on. Yeah. But they were very detail oriented as well and it it, it it never occurred to me until years later of just how unique that was that that wasn't yeah. something that a lot of bands did i should get them i don't know getting that stuff back online is a whole thing because it was done in this weird way and the material's still there but it's kind of orphaned and uh, uh maybe someday but um yeah he just you know he he was a flaneur you know he was a wanderer of the world and uh, a lover of of life and of women and uh, drink and song and everything else, <laughs> and and he was a very uh, he was a very charismatic, good-hearted guy. He wasn't always amazing to everyone. He you know was probably crappy to to his fair share of women, but not because he was a bad person, just because he was the way he was, you know. And um, he he was lovely, you know, uh, just a lovely guy. Uh, and yeah, the tour diary thing was a phenomenon that I don't know when that burned out, but it certainly did at some point. There are really good ones in forced exposure. Steve did a good one for big black. Yep. And, and, uh, there's a, a really long one that Sonic youth did that I think was mostly Thurston with some Lee writing it that I remember like reading those over and over again. Cause I was in the same boat when those came out, yep. you know, we hadn't toured or anything. And Sonic youth was like this mythical uh creature you know that eventually came to bozma montana one time and people got to see them or when i got to see them the first time in chicago i was like holy fuck you know this is sonic youth <laughs> it's blowing yeah. my mind and it was an amazing show um and big black was the same way you know uh getting to see big black in seattle and uh whenever the hell that was that was like i'll never forget it you know is a huge, huge thing. But yeah, it was just a takeoff of that. And his, I think our touring was even more down and dirty than anybody else's. Um, well, that's one of the things that made him so compelling because as much as I yeah. read, you know, the same big black tour diary and the Sonic Youth stuff as well. One of the things I found interesting, I was like, Oh, like as much as I like this band, like I talk to people all the time that have no idea who I'm talking about when I talk about Silkworm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. sorry, not to, not to, you know, I'm sure no, you are aware. <laughs> well, that's life. That's that's life in obscurity. I mean, it's just the way it is. But um, yeah, uh, I, I he really captured the scrounginess of it and the the small small pleasures of it really really well. And yeah, it, I, I wish that stuff was still available. It's still there, but I you know I, I don't exactly have a lot of free times. <laughs> I was gonna say it, it would, it would and, take. And I've had a few web dev people look at it and be like, "Oh God, I don't know. <laughs> yeah." It, it, I think they're individual HTML pages, and st- I mean, it's just yeah. it seems like it would it would be 
it'd be a project for sure. But he didn't know anything when he made the site. He'd never made a website before. So he just put it together using some like a SQL database and some other junk. And I don't even know. I should download all that stuff before it gets corrupted in some terrible way. But Well, it's um, on the Wayback Machine, if nothing else. So, yeah. Oh, it is? Yeah. Oh, well, good. Okay, cool. But yeah, he, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. Everybody I know who's a close friend of mine has been an influence on me in some way, but Michael is a special person in that regard. And it's not, it wasn't just me. It was me, Andy, uh, my wife, Vicky, um, Steve Albini, I know for sure, and Steve's wife, Heather, you know, and just like, and just spirals out from there to like, you know, a few hundred people for sure who were like really, really profoundly impacted by the kind of person he you know while he was alive yeah yeah and i mean it's in in the kind of thing that even now you know there are people that he's still impacting that like never met him too and it does yeah. have he had that kind of uh presence that kind of personality yeah, yeah. and an amazing drummer yeah i mean <laughs> and, and an iconic drummer as well and someone that grew into a style that you know, would be yeah. difficult to emulate, but was no, very hard. Instantly yeah. recognizable at the same time. Fantastic. Very hard. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to play any roles, so that's good. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, no double stroke rules. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, no, he was like, you know, I mean, the only person I've heard, I've heard people play drums sort of like him. Uh, Dave Grohl, when he's playing, sounds sort of like Michael. And Dave Grohl's probably, I'm sure he's a much more accomplished drummer in terms of being able to play fast stuff. Um, Chuck Biscuits, <clears throat> you know. but uh, And uh, a guy we know named, both both know Evan Rowe, who doesn't normally play like that. From Maple plays, Steve. Yeah. Yeah. Great and then those guys, those guys did a tribute thing where they played a bunch of Silkworm songs a couple of those guys and, and another friend of ours, Chris and, um, uh, and, and Evan went to school on that, on, on Michael and played just like him. And it was mind blowing. Um, cause I, I've, I've heard other people try to do it and it's just hard to do. <laughs> have we, ta- did we, t- have we talked about that before? I'm trying, cause that's, that's gotta be a trip scene. Yeah. Seeing your songs played in front of yeah. you. <laughs> It wasn't too long after Michael died. I think it was, um, I mean, it could have been a while, but it was still raw for me. And so it was difficult emotionally. Like I couldn't talk to Evan afterwards really because I got too choked up about it. And I think he felt bad (laughs) actually, but uh, it was so amazing, you know, and listening to like Chris who played the bass, Chris Rasmussen, who played bass Mm -hmm. in the thing. He, he did all this stuff that I just did as a matter of, course because i learned how to play bass in a certain way and he figured it all out you know and i just thought you know that's a huge compliment for someone to go to that much effort to like to work work it out you know it's great yeah i mean it's super oh sorry god no it's just cool it was great well and it's it's kind of unique i mean you don't you wouldn't often a lot of bands wouldn't inspire that level of uh Diligence, maybe, is, is the best way yeah. to put it? I don't know. Maybe not. Yeah, probably not. Um, I don't know. It's hard to... Yeah, not not many bands, certainly not many bands of our kind of... Uh, At that level, maybe. sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that's true. Yep. Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm, sh- I'm, I'm, I'm sure, uh, you know, Misty Mountain Hop that, that's playing uh, on Tuesday at the sports <laughs> bar. Yeah. 
tries yeah, to do their right. best to Led Zeppelin, but yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> so, and that's um, so. How do you look at everything like Silkworm? You know, Bottomless Pit. I, I, you, you, again, I don't want to belabor things we've discussed before, but with Bottomless Pit, I remember you just saying that at, at some point you just kind of felt done with that. Like it was like, oh, that's that's over now. And like having that like finality to it. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of an interesting perspective for someone that, you know, it seems like most of the, the, the stuff you've done in music, you've kind of looked at it like more like a river. Like, do you feel mm-hmm. that especially now, you know, a few years, I guess more than a few years uh, out from it, the bottomless pit was kind of a, like of its time or of that feeling of that time? Yeah, I think there was just a particular vibe to the band and it was, it came out of Michael's death, you know? And so the, the band was for, was formed in that crucible and it was, you know, it was like that. I mean, it was a trial, uh, for me and Andy and, and for everybody around us and for the other guys in the band who knew and loved Michael. So, um, it was, it really was this pressure cooker that made the thing what it was. And over the band was together for a long time. So it was like eight years or something. And then by the end of it, I, I felt myself pulling away from kind of the essential, uh, the core of what the band was about. And I knew it had to change what we were doing had to change. Uh, and we weren't going to be able to do it. Uh, we just didn't have enough time to play together to make that turn. You know, it would have right. taken a few hours a week to get there. And we had a few hours a month. So, uh, was very hard and I did it via email, which seems terrible to me now. <laughs> I, I, I should have done it. I mean, Andy and I talked about it. Yeah. Uh, but, um, I, you know, with, with Orch, Brian Orchard and, and Chris Manfred, I emailed them and I'm like, it kind of makes me cringe now, but whatever. That's the way I did it. Um, uh, it's not like we didn't talk about it after at all, but, um, yeah. And, you know, I still think those records are great. And I think all that music is great, but I didn't have the same connection to it. And I didn't see how we were going to um, evolve in the way that I felt we needed to, things needed to evolve for me to, to be able to stay connected to it. You know what I mean? I do. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I guess if, if that evolution is not going to, you know, is impossible, then what are you going to do? So. Yeah. Yeah. It's not that it would have been impossible. It was just going to be. It was going to be difficult. The, the yeah, I, I'm, I guess I should say the investment of time. The you know, the, and if the resources were not there to do the thing that you know to do the way yeah. you want to do it, then I, I yeah. understand where that would be concerning. Right. Yeah, totally. So with Mint Mile, to me, and once again, I want I want to say, Tim, thank you for uh, taking time out of your day to talk to me. Oh yeah, talk to the show. Sure. It's always a pleasure to have you on. I feel like the the intervals have been just spaced out long enough. There's always a million things to talk about. And I think that's really cool. Good. Uh, When we talk about Mint Mile and what Mint Mile is, to me, it kind of seems like you've set up something for yourself that you can reconfigure, you can change, you can add, you can subtract to, and kind of do it as long as you feel like. Is is that, would you say that's accurate? 
I think so. Yeah. I, Cause you know, I didn't really know what it was going to be at first. It was just an idea. And then Jeff and I started playing together and then we started kind of, uh, I sort of started adding things into it and, um, eventually it became what it is now, which is essentially a band, but it's still pretty flexible. I mean, if we have two out of the four of us and I'm one of them, you know, <laughs> something can happen. Um, we can, do, we can, uh, do a show or I can do show. I can do stuff on my own solo. So I wanted it to be flexible like that because I didn't want to be in a situation where I had to try to get four or five people all on the same page. And if you're going to play with, and you want to want it to be flexible enough that the other people in the band can be accommodated because, you know, Justin and Jeff are ringers. They're awesome players. And the only reason they're not playing in, you know, uh, Mumford and Sons or something. They don't live in Los fact, Angeles. Besides <laughs> the fact that they wouldn't want to. Yeah. Is yeah. That, uh, but the only reason that they aren't playing professionally is because that's not their bag. Right. You know, they have regular jobs, they have families, and they don't want to be on tour and stuff. So it's perfect for me, really. But they've got um, more than the aptitude to do so. It's just that it's oh. not it's not their not their deal. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So, and and there's uh, and and again, we talked way earlier on the show about the different presentation of the songs. I, I was kind of blown away by the the show I saw you play. That was just you and the twelve string. Uh, oh yeah, with um, kind of almost like some is almost like Dead Man style, like uh, uh like the Neil Young uh, soundtrack. Uh, sure, yeah, yeah. And you know, just finding being so fascinated that you're you sort of found a different way to present stuff forward that still sounded very much authoritatively you, but wouldn't necessarily be what people expected. And uh-huh. uh, that I, I guess where I'm going to that is that how often are you actively trying to challenge yourself and how, how often is it just Providence when you, when you change things up like that? I don't remember ever making a decision based on some kind of like calculation or whatever. Mm -hmm. I think it's just what feels like the right thing to do right now. You know, what's, what's in my head. Like I don't, I don't actually listen to that much music. Um, I was just thinking about this the other day because I haven't literally, other than driving around the car one day, I haven't literally played a record since this whole thing started with the uh, self isolation nonsense. Pandemic, pandemic yeah, life. Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not nonsense. You have to do it, but um, yeah, pandemic life. And I I was like, well, that's interesting. And I thought, well, I've got stuff. The reason I don't listen to music all the time is I have stuff rattling around in my head constantly. So mm. um, it's just a matter of like what's going on in there and how's it going to be, uh, how's it going to, how's it going to be brought into the, the world? You know, how am I going to translate it, um, into sound? And then that's what, when the quest starts, <laughs> if there's going to be a quest, you know, sometimes you latch onto something and it's the right thing and it stays that way for a real long time. Um, and then sometimes you've got to kind of, weave new things into the, into the mix. Um, and that's really all it is. It's just impulse, you know, wanting to, wanting to get whatever's in your head out into the real world. I think. And it, it, it's funny because I've developed into asking like a single question for everyone at the end of it, but I realized I started asked you a paraphrased version of that 
but the, the actual question that I always, always close with these days is, uh, why do you do what you do? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, <clears throat> it's a good, there's a new, uh, Bob Dylan track that he's put out that's 17 minutes long and it's about the Kennedy assassination. It's wild. It's a, cre- it's a crazy ass uh, song. Yeah. <laughs> ostensibly it's about the Kennedy assassination, but the thing that I think is easy to miss, which I get, I mean, it's 17 minutes and it's a handful of chords and Bob's vocal range is four or five notes and the playing is very meandering, but it's kind of brilliant. And the reason it's brilliant is it's not about the Kennedy assassination. It's about America and where we come from, the good and the bad, a lot of the bad in that song. And it's about being an artist and it's about art and it's about how deeply art can affect you and how it can transport you and help you escape, but also how meaningless it is in terms of really grappling with reality most of the time. And it's within the context of this thing that's fairly, you know, uh, ambling and long and makes no effort to do the normal things with hooks (laughs) and choruses and shit like that. Right. Right. And, And it's, it's really, it, it, it's in that, it's funny to call something a 17 minutes long, a distillation of anything, but it's a distillation of Dylan's um, career from about um, Infidels on probably, um, which is that he's found this way of like incorporating utter banality and simplicity and sentimentalism into what is at its core, I think a pretty, um, hardcore worldview, you know, and, and, a, and, a, and a realization that the world is a pretty hard place, um, to be alive and that being a human being is hard. And I think that that song kind of sums it all up and it's a commentary. He has this long section where he's like, play blah, blah for me, play blah, blah for me, play this song for me. And it's all this stuff that's kind of whatever. Right. And then he gets to a point where he says, um, play anything goes in Memphis in June. And it's clear what he's saying there. He's saying anything goes. And Memphis in June, I mean, King was killed in April, but that's what he's talking about, you know. So you can take these bits of it and you realize he's just setting you up to punch you in the face, <laughs> you know. He's he's making you think it's just this litany of, of stuff that doesn't mean anything, but then there'll be a thing where he gets the knife into you. and uh, But in the end, I think he kind of admits – through this, the format of the song and the way it unschools, that it might not mean anything, you know? What he's doing might not really amount to anything. It might not change anything in the world. And that's something I think as an artist you have to wrestle with every day, you know? Is that you do this stuff, and this is a depressing way to end maybe, you do this stuff, (laughs) and what's what's the net effect of it? It might be zero, you know, in the grand scheme of things. But... If you can bring some relief to people, if you can bring some like uh, feelings of joy or abandonment to them, then maybe it is worth something. Maybe saying it's not worth anything is like saying sex isn't worth anything, you know, or um, eating good food isn't worth anything. You know, experiences are really what we have in life. And so if you can improve the quality of someone's life experience in some some way then maybe what you did was kind of worth doing after all so that's not why i do what i do i do what i do because it makes me feel good you know 
and the fact that it has an effect on other people is really great. I like that, but that's kind of honestly kind of incidental. Nice. Anyway, very long answer. No, that's <laughs> it's a very long show. It's fine. That you that's yeah. the, the the whole point. Seriously, the whole point of this show is to allow people that wouldn't normally be able to give long form explanations yeah. and discussions uh, a long form format. It's a it's a pleasure to have you on, man. Always. Great talking to you. And um yeah, stay safe. Yeah, take care of yourself, man. All right, Absolutely. Right. There he goes. Mr. Tim Midget. Ambertron's the name of the record. Midmile's the name of the band. Pretty cool. Interesting dude. And uh, very, very smart. Like, crazy smart. like that guy a lot.
do the thing where I close the show. Out of, all out of sorts today. I mean, more so than I guess I should say. I think that's to be expected. <sighs> Wild time to be alive. <laughs> so, uh, new Mitt Mile Records called Ambertron. You can find it uh, Comedy Minus One Records. Uh, Bandcamp, Mid Mile Bandcamp. Uh, it's on Spotify. It's all normal places you find music. You can figure this out. Go and get that. There's also reissues of some of the Silkworm stuff. Also, Comedy Minus One on all the social medias that you would imagine Comedy Minus One to be on. Additionally, uh, Comedy Minus One.com. And that's O N E spelled out one. The name of the show is Conan Neutron's Protonic Reversal. As we come to the close of our broadcast day. It's usually Thursdays, 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central, 6 p.m. Mountain, 5 p.m. Pacific. This is, of course, been a stay-at-home edition. Farewell transmission. Not going to lie, there's going to be more of these, so keep a rest on social media. Signing off. Mrs. America and all the ships at sea. Conan Neutron's Protonic Reversal on Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff. We got a Patreon. If you like these shows and you want to hear them before other people do, you can throw a dollar in a month to uh, have that happen. There's going to be some extra content, things along those lines. No advertisers, no sponsors, ever. But uh, we're trying out this Patreon thing. And, uh, yeah. If you like the show, please continue to uh, share it out. Let people know. And as always, keep it tuned to Radio Note. Out on Route 128, dark and lonely. Stay safe. I got my radio on.
Welcome to my top ten. I'd like to thank our sponsor. But we haven't got a sponsor. Not if you were the last man on earth. She was prepared to prove it. This one goes out to a special girl. There is no special girl! It's the, it's the end of radio! The last announcer plays the last record! The last what? Leaves the transmitter! If there's no one there to receive It's the end of radio As we come to the close of our broadcast day Radio.